Hi everyone and welcome to this next stage of the podcast and today we're joined, we've got a slightly different angle today where we're joined by an athlete that we've worked with previously. So welcome Tom, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. So Tom and I have worked together for probably nearly 10 years now um, from the start of the physical journey so I'm very interested to delve more into his personal life and um, find out a bit more about how he got started. So on that note, Tom, how did you even find out that you were good at running? How did you get started in that? Um, well, I think most kids, you sort of know if you're a fast runner or not from quite an early age. And I was, I was always pretty, pretty sporty um, from, yeah, from, you know, races and junior school and stuff. Uh, I never sort of took athletics in itself seriously as a, as a sport in its own right until I was probably 13, I think, 12, 13, where I sort of joined the local running club. So I ran for my school in a local cross-country race um, and did quite well, but just based on kind of football training and the other stuff that you do as a kid. Um, and yeah, the coach from the local club just sort of invited me down to sort of try out running. And uh, yeah, from there, I still, I still did all the stuff. played a lot of football until I was probably 16, 17, um, although quickly realized that was never going to be a career for me and probably athletics is more of a likely one. And uh, as I, as I got into that sort of, into my sort of later teens, mid to late teens, I, I realized I was, I was doing quite well at athletics and starting to have some success um, on a, on a national level at English schools and things like that. Um, and started to think about it more as a, as a actual career then. Um, so from there, I was able to earn a, a scholarship to go and, uh, run and compete and, and study in America. Um, and that was a bit of a springboard really to sort of starting to compete on a, on a higher level against, you know, really high quality um, opposition. So um, it just developed quite, quite naturally and quite steadily over the years. I wasn't by any means like an instant success with running. I was, you know, a bit of a later developer than some of the guys I was running against, which is you know, when you, as a, as a 13, 14 year old, that's massive. You know, some of the guys you run against look like fully grown men and there's little skinny me trying to, trying to keep up with them. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I did love it from the start and I, I love the kind of, uh, pureness of it where, you know, you realize you train harder, you run faster and, and you can, you just keep dreaming about how much faster you can constantly go. Um, so that's what I really loved about it. And it just, yeah, brought me to where I am now. So in terms of the distance that you pick to run at, is that purely based on performance? Um, I, I guess so. I mean, I think uh, at that, as a young age, you sort of, like I said, I was probably a slightly better than average at sprinting as well. Um, but it was a cross-country race that my coach, had, my coach at Bolton saw me in and asked me to, to, to go and train for. And at that age, I don't think you really have sort of, um, that, that much specialization you're either a sprinter or a distance runner and 1500 meters at that age is, is distance running not middle distance really I guess um, so I just trained as a as a, a distance runner and and fell into the 1500 and, and 800s and stuff like that um, and and just yeah really enjoyed it I I guess I probably yeah at that stage although I was fairly fast is probably obvious I wasn't going to be a elite level sprinter any means and I, I had a good endurance engine so that's just the road I, I went down and I think um as again as I develop and get older I 
you know, realize I have decent speed over those sorts of distances alongside being good at longer stuff as I got older, you know, 5Ks and 10Ks and stuff. And that's sort of just the niche I, I went into. And, and it's the the event that I, the 1500 especially, is just the event that I've always enjoyed the most, really. Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, for me, it's the, the, the kind of blue ribbon event in athletics. And it's a good amount of time to sort of stay focused on for, for myself and for people watching it. Um, and it's just quite an exciting race to be in, I think. It's tactical and, yeah, so um, that's that's how I ended up being a, a middle distance runner, really. Mm. And then when you decided to do the, the trip to America, was that with any goal in mind or was that just because it's going to be great, you go into America, it's a great experience? Um, sort of. It was, um, so I actually initially went as a, with the idea of just doing it one year there as a kind of gap year, really. So my plan was to, um, go back to study medicine in England, in Manchester. Um, and I just want, I didn't want to, um, at that point, my athletics was, was sort of taking off a little bit and I wanted to see what I could do and, and go and train in a bit more of a sort of professional environment. Um, and this seemed like a really good opportunity to do that where I could, um, you know, put more, more time and effort into my training, but still um, be in a sort of university setting and maybe, maybe learn something. So, um, I kind of went with that mindset to begin with and then decided after that first year there where I had really improved a lot in my athletics and, and really enjoyed being out there that I would stay there and continue to try and improve. And at, at that age, I, I wasn't quite ready to sort of make um, senior level Great Britain teams, but I was definitely on the track to doing that. So it was a good place to kind of develop and, and improve um, because like I say the standard there is so good and, and you're racing against such good athletes week in, week out that, you know, it's, you, you have to improve. So it was a really good stepping stone from being a good junior into a, into a good senior. Mm. And so what was the, where were you based? Where was the university? Uh, I was in Florida. So Florida State University, um, which is in the north of Florida. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, and I, I happened to, it was a good time for me to go because I, it was a bit of a, um, we had a real good crop of, of athletes kind of come in at the same time there. So we won two national championships during my time there as a team, which is a, is a huge, huge deal in America to win the collegiate championships. Um, we had, uh, you know, some really like Olympic medalist level sprinters there, um, decent um, field athletes and, and distance runners as well so it's good to be part of a team as well that was having a lot of success um so yeah it was a really good crop of us that came through and 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 the so the program was the athletics program there was really um a big deal and it was good to have a sort of high profile level of support and, and interest in you know you're almost like a professional athlete there um with the sort of level of interest you get from outside on, on the collegiate program mm. Well, like, how did that turn then? So, like, you you go you go from the UK and you go over to a massive university like Florida State. Like, what's what's the setup like there? Like, um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, in 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 America, it's in the university system, um, mo you know, for a start, most of the universities you go to are the sports programs are really well funded anyway. But particularly universities like the one I went to, Florida State, the ones that have the biggest and most successful uh, successful American football teams tend to have the, the most amazing facilities and setups. And, and these, you know, I think the Florida state 
football stadium holds around 80,000 people and they would fill that for every single home game that they have. And they're essentially equivalent to, you know, your Manchester United's and big football teams that you have here. The, you know, the games are televised live on the SPN. The, the players are superstars that are nationally known. And so there's a lot of money that comes into the sports programs at these universities that then feeds into the facilities that they have. So, you know, our, our gym that we had at university was as good as anything I've ever seen at any, you know, any, anywhere back here in the UK. Um, just because they had that money to pump in. And it, it was all, you know, it was all geared towards the American football team, but the other sports got to benefit from that. Um, so for me, coming from training at Leverhulme Park in Bolton to this, you know, this stadium and this amazing gym in Florida, it was it was a massive change, but it was, it was great because you're part of a team and you've got all these other guys new there with you. Um, so it was, really was a good, in, in lots of ways, was a good learning experience where you sort of, eyes are open to the the way or the, the sort of um kind of environment that professional type athletes operate in it was really, it was really yeah for me it was a really good experience and was that something you were expecting did you know what you were going into um not really no like i had i got recruited by quite a few different universities um to to try and you know get me to go there and uh, I never had chance to go and visit any of these places beforehand. Um, the sort of clincher for Florida State was that the coach from there flew over to England to come and meet me and met my family and stuff. And, um, you know, I, I got on with him and it, I was like, right, okay, Florida is not a bad place to be at all. And, I, you know, I feel there was a few other British athletes that had been recruited to go there in that same year. So I knew there would be other people with me who are coming from a similar place, uh, which helped as well. Um, but that being said, I think, you know, the other, certainly the sort of other three big programs that recruited me, I think would have been equally, um, amazing setups and, and good places to go as well. Mm. So what were the type of athletes? Who, were there any names that were? Um, well, so we had, um, one thing that always sticks out in my mind, we had, so the, they have an event, big event called the Penn Relays, um, in America, which is. It's called a carnival of relays. So they have all sorts of difference, you know, not just your normal four by four and four by one. They have things called sprint medley relay and the distance medley relays. So it's a weekend, it's a massive event. They have loads of high school um, teams there, loads of college team and professional teams go. And we entered a team into the sprint medley relay, which is 200 meters, 200 meters, 400 meters, 800 meters. And um, we had in the other 200, we had um, Walter Dix, who won, I think he's won a bronze and a silver in the Olympics um, over 100 and 200 meters. We had another guy called Brian from, uh, from Zimbabwe, who was like a 20.0 200 meter runner, which is, I mean, sub 20 is truly world-class. 20.0 is, you know, you're, you're making Olympic finals probably. Um, we had another guy, Ricardo Chambers from Jamaica, who was a 44 second, um, 400 meter runner. So again, sub 45, you, you're talking Olympic semi-final final level. Uh, and then me, the, who the previous year I'd run 145 for 800 meters, which is, um, yeah, which is a, a good time. So, um, we did this, this sprint medley relay with 
with the, the aim of, of breaking the world record. I think it's the only ever world record attempt that I've sort of knowingly been in before. But we had a really good chance. But the problem is, obviously, the 800 metres is the longest event in that relay. And therefore, it's the place where you can win or gain or lose the most amount of time. Um, coincidentally, it's the only time I've ever raced in a full Lycra speed suit as well, because the whole team has to wear the same outfit. <laughs> um, so all the, the sprinted guys obviously always wear it, wear these speed suits. And I, as a skinny distance runner, wasn't super comfortable in it, but I did it. Um, but yeah, and the problem is that I'd run the 145 the year before in the, you know, the height of summer when I'm in peak condition. And this happens in uh, pen relays is in April. So really not a good time for me to try and go out and run a really fast 800 where you're still in base training. And so I, I got the baton in like it was a huge lead and went out really hard on world record pace basically to try and hold on. And uh, the last 200 meters of it just ended up being the most painful thing ever where I was just getting hunted down by this, this guy on the, the second place team. We ended up still winning the race, but I think I ran, I don't know, 148 or 149 or something, which isn't bad on your own, just leading from the front. But uh, I would have needed to be a couple of seconds quicker, I think, for us to get the world record. Um, but yeah, so that, I mean, that's obviously the sprint medley really isn't something that's competed very, uh, you know, um, very often. So it's not like one of the top level world records, but all those guys on that team were really, you know, truly elite level athletes and 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 that's like i said that's the thing with the collegiate system in america you know all these guys come through that and um and you just you're up against really top level people um you know pretty much every race you would go to um so it's yeah it's it's really eye-opening it's really good learning experience as well Mm. and so what's it like going into that environment like how do you spend your days and what were you studying even that what was the scholarship for um yeah so i did well the scholarship was based on on athletics so you, you can have sort of academic scholarships or athletic scholarships um and it's unusual for a sports person to have a non-athletic scholarship really um but i was studying um exercise physiology i just basically just chose it as something that i thought would be interesting and something that would help me if I went back into medicine when I go back to the UK. Um, and yeah, to be honest, the, the, the this education system is a bit different over there. So actually in that first couple of years that I did there, nothing I did in, in, um, in university was any harder than what I'd done at A-levels back home. So I'd obviously done the chemistry, physics and biology A-levels to, to go to medical school. Um, and nothing came close to that in terms of how difficult it was really so for me it was quite nice to have you know I was going to classes obviously and doing all this the studying and stuff but I didn't have to actually really apply myself that much um academically um and so the sport you know the, the running side of things was you know I could have more of my attention and, and like I said it's just it's real structure it's a real team set up and you know you, the team meets for practice at the same time every day and you have you know your gym times and so on um, and tra traveling to meets together and flying across the country to go and do these races um, was uh, was good. And, and going from that to, you know, competing on the European circuit professionally, for example, it's um, it, it was it was a good, good experience to have because all of a sudden your your agent tells you, right, you're running in this race in Spain on Saturday and here's your flights. And basically that's it. You, you pack your bags and you go. And I remember the first few meets 
of, of having to do that on my own was, you know, it's not, it's, it's quite a, you know, for a young athlete, it's not an easy thing to, to go through. So I was, it, it was grateful for the experience in Florida to, to learn a bit about that. Mm. And in terms of like the, the makeup of your day, then if you're not doing, if the studying isn't that onerous on you, like how were you mixing with Walter Dix and those guys a lot? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah. So we actually lived, um, if certainly for one or two of the years I lived next door to Walter Dix and there's four of us in each house. And, um, yeah, so I was, I mean, it's, I was still going to classes. I can't remember what the sort of, um, hours we had of classes each week. Um, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't like it was, it wasn't like actually being a full-time athlete when I moved back home and had nothing else where you're just literally lounging around all day, waiting for the next training session. You know, there were, you were doing stuff, which was actually quite nice. Um, so you'd have, you know, and, and also at the same time as well, you know, as a 20, 21 year old in, in, in Florida at university, you know, you're doing the normal university stuff as well. So when I think back to some of the nights of like going out drinking before a race or a training session or something, like I look back now and think like, oh God, I could never, well, wouldn't even, wouldn't want to, but wouldn't physically be able to handle like a big night out and then go train the next day. Um, but that, that stuff's all part of, you know, of university and, and for anyone and no different for being on a, you know, on the, on the track team. So um, it was, it was, I think lots of people have really good memories of, of university in general. And um, for me, it's no different, you know, I definitely enjoy myself and had a good time there, but a lot of that came from this team sort of spirit and environment that you're in where, you know, the vast majority of my friends were guys that I knew from the running team or from other teams, within the university that you mix with mm. that does sound an amazing experience actually the english accent always goes down well in america as well so yeah it does yeah but yeah so they often mix it mix it up for australian or irish or something but just get away with whatever you want <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, exactly so once you've done that in america then like what at what point were you thinking right medicine we're going to hold off on that and we're going to make a career in athletics um Probably, well, probably for definite after two years in America. Um, so I, after the first year, I deferred my place for another year, thinking I'll do another year in America and then go back. Um, and then... You offered a place on, in medical school at that point then? Yeah, so I, I had a place at Manchester University and I deferred it for one year to go to America and then asked them after that first year, can I defer for another year? And they said, okay. And then after the second year, I was like, I don't think I'm going to come back just yet. So mm. um, I didn't feel ready to, well, ready to go back into that because I, I felt it would have been too much to then take on something like that when I really thought I can, you know, I can go to the Olympics, I can do good things in athletics. And I would always regret it if I didn't, you know, commit the time and dedication to it. Um, and then, yeah, so then over the next two, three years of being in America, then, again, just continue to improve, continue to put down some, some quite good times. Um, but, you know, again, at that point, you're not certain that you're going to be able to make a career out of it or anything. You, I mean, you're not allowed to accept any sort of sponsorship or money or anything while you're in the collegiate system anyway. Um, but it wasn't until 2008, once I'd qualified for the Olympics, um, where I actually got offered any kind of um, contract with um you know with, with companies to sort of sponsor me um so until that point you, you know you're not a professional athlete and you're not necessarily that's not your career necessarily so 
it's always it was always in the back of my mind okay what am I going to do if if I get a bad injury or I just not good enough or something um but fortunately I was able to sort of keep progressing and, and make a make a career out of it so yeah so for Beijing then what was that at what point did you realize that that was a realistic possibility um well, it was it was quite a jump in time, actually, where uh, in, in my my fifteen hundred meter time um, from the start of that year to when I ran the qualifying time in in Oslo, um, I can't remember exactly what I think I went from three thirty eight or three thirty seven down to a three thirty five, which was a qualifying time in this particular race. So at that point, it became quite real. And I actually won the race as well, and at that point, it became quite real that that's a big big um check mark check box um ticked um where it wasn't you know too many other people that were close to running that time so i, I knew even regardless of what would happen at the trials I, I had a good chance of being selected um and then like i said that's the point where suddenly sponsors are interested and, and wanting to sort of have you wearing their shoes in the olympics and stuff so um it was kind of obviously it's you know from for anyone it, it's the olympics is a big goal in your head in any season when there's an olympics coming um but it became real at that point where i where i ran that time and, and realized you know I, I can i can get faster and also i can um you know i can compete with these guys on a on a high level what are you thinking as well like how is that stressful is it exciting like the prospect of running in the olympics it's if that's been a lifelong dream what's how what's going through your head uh yeah it's uh, yeah of course it's exciting it's it's massive and and more so when you actually get there and you see you know feel quite lucky that beijing was the olympics i went got to go to because it the operation itself was just huge and i i think it's still the the olympic games that has had the most money spent on it in terms of everything from the opening ceremony to the village and, and so on. It was just a huge, you could tell you were part of something absolutely massive. Um, and just the way I remember in, in Beijing, the way anyone looked at you when they saw you've got an athlete kind of accreditation around your neck, um, they were just in awe of you kind of thing. And it, it's, it was just an amazing thing to, to, uh, to be part of. And it's still, still, um, still even now it's, I feel very um, proud and very, it's a really special thing to be able to say to someone, you're an Olympian and uh, you've been to the Olympics and, um, you know, it's, it, it always comes up in, in conversation where, you know, if someone's introducing me or someone's talk, I'm talking and meeting someone new. Um, I don't actually particularly like to mention it myself as a, you know, a, a, you sort of try and be humble about these things, but it does come up and people, you know, it's nice to see people, it really means a lot to people like, wow, that's something special that you've been able to go to an Olympics. And um, I am, I am really, you know, really proud of it. And I, I want to try and go to another one if I can, before I retire. Mm. Yeah. So in terms of that, then, like you've had injury problems then at what point did they come in? Was it how soon after Beijing was that? Um, well, I had, uh, so 20, 2010 was actually my, my best year in terms of times and uh, performances. And, um, you know, obviously at that point in that year, you're not thinking this is the, the best it's ever going to get. And, and realistically for me, you know, of the 1500s, certainly I don't expect I'm going to be able to run that fast again. Just, you know, that, that was, I was 25 and in, in, in my prime sort of thing. Um, but 
Yeah, so over, it's a bit of a weird journey with sort of um, a couple of years of sort of illness and problems that that then started when I came back from that, started to sort of get issues with, Achilles really was my main problem that I had from my sort of um, later 20s onwards. And um, ironically now I'm much better at managing it and it's it's been fine for a, a couple of years. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a big, a big thing you sort of learn where, you know, I, I look back now and I look at the training I did as a, as a younger athlete and, uh, you know, obviously it was good training, but it, the, when I look at it and think about the intensity of it and how much I was doing, not in terms of mileage, but, you know, there's really hard sessions on the track where you just smash yourself probably three times a week, you know, crawling off the track one of those now would you know would set me not set me back but it'd take me a much longer time to recover um and that's not to say i can't still do really good things but you just have to be a little bit smarter about where you what basket you put your eggs in and and try and pick the right sessions that you get the most bang for your buck from and also especially you know the time of year as well even in the winter in the past i'd try and smash every session as hard as i can um and I remember someone telling me it's, it's far better to be at 80%, 100% of the time rather than 100% only 80% of the time. So, mm. you know, if, if you're smashing it through November and December and pick up an injury in January, that can really set you back for the summer. So as long as I can get to sort of March, April, having had a pretty clear run uh, of consistency, I know that'll put me in good stead for the, the season ahead. And, and that's exactly what I had last winter. I had really good winter last year and um sort of march time coming back from my training camp in south africa i was you know as fit as i've been for a long long time um which was really frustrating obviously then to have no races to go and do for the rest of the season um so hopefully i can do that again like i said i, I do try and be smart about things and 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 listen to my body as much as i can and try and not not push unnecessarily and just think about the value of of anything you're doing, you know, if a lot of, particularly a lot of distance runners get hung up on mileage. And if your target is 80 miles for the week and you get to Sunday and you've, you've only done, you know, you're four miles short. A lot of people think, no, I have to get to eight. I'm going to go out and do another jog this evening. And for me now I would sort of stop and say, well, what value do I get from that four miles? Probably nothing. It's probably much more likely to cause me an injury. So why bother? And that's, it's not laziness. It's just thinking what, what actually are you getting from it? Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's the question I asked John Rogers and he said how he thinks it's been really helpful for him having been an athlete and being an athlete to be able to help manage the people that he would treat. Yeah. So from your perspective, like how like, do you think if you knew what you know now, you would have been much better or would it have been a different outcome? Um. I don't know. I'd always be, I think I've been really uh, fortunate in a lot of ways to, you know, to, to be, have the right coach at the right time and be in the right races. And, and, and also, you know, I, I you know, the, for example, now in, in 1500 meters is really high standard. And even if I was in my prime now, I wouldn't necessarily be an Olympian um, because of the standard is, is, is definitely, or the depth is definitely better than it was in 2008. Um, but yeah, I think there's definitely there's definitely things that anyone can look back on and say, yeah, if I could have done this differently, or you know, um, it might have been, you know, might have had different results. I think for me, 
not in terms of the training that I did or the application that I put into it. Cause I, I know I always push myself really hard and that was probably my biggest strength was being able to really, really hurt myself in training. Um, I think for me, my only regrets come actually from races themselves and maybe times where I've not run to my strengths or, or use quite the right tactics. Um, for example, in, in the Olympics, like I, I feel I should have, made it out of the heats and I didn't because I probably wasn't brave enough in, uh, earlier in the race. So there's lots of little things like that, that, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I regrets, but definitely you look back on and, and think, okay, I could have done that slightly differently. But again, I, I, there's lots of people who train really hard for a long, long time and don't get to do the things that I've done. So I, I don't, you know, I feel very lucky to have been able to, to do what I've done. Mm. And so you mentioned that in terms of like the coaches you've worked with and medical professionals and so on, how, how have they come about that you've worked with those particular people at those times? Um, well, coaches wise, I think my, my first coach and the coach I had when I went to the Olympics was um, uh, a local coach, Norman Poole, who um, I'd run quite well in America and, and British athletics had sort of put me in touch with him. Um, because he was also coaching Michael Rimmer at the time. And uh, so we, we kind of gelled quite nicely together as him as an 800 meter runner and me as a 1500 meter runner. And he was my training partner then for a few years to come. And, you know, we worked really well together. Um, and then, yeah, different times as sort of, um, I, I've not had loads of coaches actually. So I, I went from Norman to uh, a, a new balance sponsored group in Manchester Um which was, I was sponsored by New Balance at the time. And it sort of, um, yeah, was just a, a good opportunity for me to sort of um, be again in a sort of professional team environment as opposed to the previous group, which was a real mix of, of um, types of athlete and levels of athlete, which is you know fine, but just a different environment where it's very much more a full-time athlete focused group. Um, and then from that group there, I went to the coach I have now, which is Steve Cram, who basically was a really good fit for this stage of my career where, you know, he's not telling me how far to run every single day and setting my strength training and all these other little micromanaging things. You know, he, he plans the sessions out and he plans the sort of season and the peaking and so on and, and what we need to be doing at different times. But he, you know, he appreciates that I'm experienced and I, you know, I know what's worked for me as well. And I know what I can and can't do. Um, so we, you know, he's very, he's my coach, but he's also like more than anything, just a sounding board for things. And, and it works. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really happy with it. It works really well. And, and we have a good, good relationship that way. Mm. And in terms of that, then throughout this last nine months or so, have you, has that been remote management? Have you, do you meet up? Uh, yeah, we've been able to meet up occasionally. So at times when we've been allowed, we, we would normally, um, so sort of halfway between us uh, is, is Leeds. So uh, he also has another athlete, Laura Waitman, who's based in Leeds. So we'd, I'd often drive over to there to, to do track sessions. Um, ordinarily through the summer, once a week at least, I'd be over there on the track. Um, and yeah, so where it's allowed, we've, we, we've, we've met up. Um, but obviously, yeah, it, also this year with not much track races on in general, there's not, we've tried to avoid getting on the track too much anyway, just for risk of injury. And, you know, if there's no, uh, no particular track race I'm training for, then, you know, I can do stuff on the grass or on the roads and trails instead, 
just to stay fit without sort of trying to sharpen up and put spikes on. Mm. So I know that you've moved into doing other work alongside all of this, but how do you see it like if you, what's it like living, they're going to give you about four questions here. So for one, what's it like being a professional athlete where you've got a lot of free time on your hands? So there's, there's that one, but then also now, how would it be for professional athletes who haven't got other things like you have at the moment going on? How, from a mental standpoint and physical, but how do you think it is for them to be able to manage their own training and if they're not racing or training as much? Yeah, it's, um, well, it's an interesting one. So, so one of the big things you learn or have to learn quickly as a, as a full-time athlete, you know, I went from, like I was saying, from university setup where you've got a schedule set out for you in terms of your classes and, and you've got your running training schedule set out um, to being a full-time athlete where you have a coach and, uh, and who sets your training sessions and so on, but the rest of your life is up to you and you have to plan everything else around that um that's difficult and you have to learn how to use your free time you know i, I remember i think i've talked about this before where first you know a few months back from university you have all this free time you think, right what am i going to fill with it i'll go and walk around the trafford center or I'll go to manchester or you know go and see people and stuff and it's it sounds it sounds it's sort of pathetic really but you know walking around the trafford center for a couple of hours is actually really tiring and if you go and try and do it really hard track session after that you can feel it in your legs you're like my legs are flat today because I've been on my feet all day and you have to learn that actually you have this free time because you've committed to trying to run as fast as you possibly can and so you have to focus on making sure that session you have that evening is going to be as good as it possibly can and that means getting your feet up resting and not doing anything that's going to um you know take away from the session it's a really important thing to learn and it's you know everyone has their own you know, balance where they, they have, have to have things they have to do and so on. You know, I, I sort of started learning Spanish when I came back from university just to have something to think about and focus on. Um, so I, I think it is, it, I mean, the, the other thing is I've, I've trained with people who are very, very good athletes who have full-time jobs and it, it works for them. They're able to, you know, spend all day not thinking about running and then turn up to training and, and train really well. Um, so it's it does it is different for different people i think for me if i was all right certainly know people i've trained with who non-stop are thinking about athletics and training and so on uh, and i know that wouldn't work well for me especially if, you know when you pick up injuries and stuff if that affects your whole life and your general happiness and how you interact with other people it's you know it's, it's not healthy so it is important to be you know athletes tend to de define themselves by how fast they're running or what races they're winning but ev everyone's a human being right and they have to define themselves by their, their other qualities and and it's important to have those things where if athletics goes wrong or your sport you know you get injuries whatever it might be you've got something else that you can look to and say okay well i'm, I'm doing this anyway or you know whatever it might be so i think it's it's, it's an interesting one it's something that a lot I think there's no one answer for because I think lots of athletes deal with it differently. And some people are quite happy not having much else going on and can sit there on their own and just watch TV all day, whatever it might be. And others need little bits of things to, to do and focus on. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. That really is something that you've got to kind of find your own path to, I think. And is that something that you would talk through with your coach, like understanding you as a person? Um, 
I don't know if I've ever really had that conversation as such with a coach about what, you know, what to do with your free time or how to manage that time. Certainly, I remember there's been points where, for example, British Athletics would have kind of lifestyle managers who would help talk to you about, okay, what sort of things you can do. Uh, so there are, you know, there's resources out there for support with that. Um, I think the coach athlete thing is more to do with understanding how people act and think around training and how you might respond. You know, I know my coach doesn't knows with Laura, who he coaches as well. You know, he often doesn't tell her the workout until we get to the track because he knows maybe she might not panic about it, but might, you know, go over it a lot of times in her mind and start, you know, creating traps for herself. Whereas, you know, I, I don't mind if he tells me two days before or whatever, or on the day, like I'll just turn up and, and do it and that's fine. So I think that's the, that's the kind of, those sorts of little things are what the coach and athlete might, well, the coach might be learning about the athlete without sort of letting them know that they're learning it and trying to, and you sort of spot little things that the coaches are doing and they sort of learning about, about you as a person. You try not to think about it, but if they realize you start thinking, well, are they just telling me this because they know I'm going to panic about it if they tell me something else or not? And you, you start to start, start, start becoming aware of those things, but it is a skill, I think, to be able to manage your athlete that way and, and know what's going to help and what's going to actually cause, you know, a bit more anxiety or whatever it might be. Mm. And in terms of that, do you get a lot of work on the physical side? Do you ever get support or is there a support available for that, the mental aspect of, for one, being a professional athlete, but also that management of how you should be dealing with injuries or free time or, or whatever it may be? Um, yeah, I, I, again, like through, I know through, through British athletics, when you're on the sort of, you know, the funding program, there's those sorts of things available where you can, you can speak to someone about, you know, your career options after sport or, or, you know, the time management things and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, same from a, from a psychology perspective, you know, there's sports psychologists available to, that they can, you know, suggest and you can go and see, um, you know, I, I was really lucky again, myself and Michael, when we were training with Norman, uh, we, we got to meet Steve Peters, um, who'd done a lot of work with British cycling. Um, and we were really lucky to be able to see him quite regularly over those, those years. And that was, you know, that was huge. It was really, you know, amazing person to be able to get the help of. And, um, that was something we were quite lucky really to be able to, to, organizing and not everyone sort of has access to that sort of thing so you know for anyone it's it's how much you're willing to sort of invest not necessarily financially but to go out and seek that help if you want it it's obviously available but some people might not think it's necessary it's certainly psychological no uh, psychological support some people don't see the value in it as much as others and then they're not going to go and seek it out so but i think it's it's there for people to, to go and to go and find it if they, if they want. Mm. Were there any particular things that he would say that you can remember now that you thought, yeah, that actually really resonated? Um, yeah, a couple. I mean, I, I think um, that the way you sort of uh, think about it, so, so what I was talking earlier about tactically in races and, and how you approach races and how you, you know, if, if someone asked me before a race, what's your best chance of winning this race? I'd know what the answer is, um, which for me is, is not a sort of 
typical last hundred meters kicker it would be to to go from further out i would know that but then you know eight times out of ten it would come to a race and it, i get to that last you know 400 meters where i need to start kicking but your brain tells you tom you're knackered here this is going to hurt wait just hold off and and you know try and win a different way but you know in the race that's what what's going on in your head but Again, if you if you asked me that two days before the race, I'd say no. You've got no chance of winning that way. Why would you consider doing that? And it's it's obvious, but it's so uh, you know I don't know if you're familiar with his, his stuff, but this chimp paradox where this kind of part of your brain is just all about kind of sort of self preservation and and defending you this sort of fight or flight stuff. Your chimp's telling you you're about to experience a lot of pain here. Let's not do that. Let's you know let's be safe and stay in the pack and hope against hope that you can win this race another way. So the things we talk about a lot were kind of putting things in place to make sure that that, you know, that you're not even having that discussion in your head in the race. You just get to that point and you know, right, 400 meters to go. That's when I kick because that's my best chance to win. And, uh, you know, it, it happens where uh, you, you get to that point and you, it's like I say, you don't think about it. It just happens and you go and you know like click right it's like a sort of switch in your brain that you go and do it and i'm i wary of speaking about this like as if i'm an expert in it because i'm not and there's plenty of races since then where i've still done the wrong you know made mistakes but that's the principle and, and everyone can kind of relate to it where something starts hurting or you just you know setting your alarm in the morning you know you need to get up at 7 a.m to go and do whatever it is before your 9 a.m meeting or whatever but it gets that point in the morning and you hear the alarm and you're like, oh, 10 more minutes in bed. I can get away with that. Like if you ask yourself the night before, can you get away with 10 minutes extra? You'd say, no, I need to get this two hours in before. So those sorts of things are really simplistic, but really powerful, I think, to, to know about and to try and you know get in your head before. And it takes practice to, to do that. Mm, yeah, no, that's really interesting. So are there any other people that have had... Uh... That well inspirational impact on you um yeah i mean quite a few i'd say the well plenty of people that i've trained with plenty of people who you know you see doing the little extra bits um that make them a little extra bit better um you know you want that's the great thing about training camps a lot of times actually is you see other athletes and how they work and how they um you know commit to getting something right and you see others that aren't doing that and you sort of think to yourself yeah well i've, I've already beat you now because i know you're not doing all this stuff and you know you're not not necessarily taking it seriously so um that sort of stuff i'd say yeah, it's hard it's hard to name any individuals but definitely those people you come across where you think yeah this person is really good and i can see why because they're not sort of saying, oh, it's okay to have a couple of beers tonight. Or they're not saying, you know, I can stay up a bit later than I was planning. They just do the right things. Uh, and it's really, it's really powerful to see other people doing that and having success from it. But again, I'll say it's a bit of a balance where on the individual, um, if you're living like a total monk, you know, 10 months of the year and not, not enjoying it and, you know, just not sort of, not not living your life really then it, that can be draining in another way too where you're you know you're not it's not sustainable so i think it's um it's yeah it's just 
it's important to find that balance, but also be aware of your, you know, your chimp again, making excuses for you and saying, oh, I want to enjoy myself. So I'll have a beer. And actually you've got to weigh those things up and, and say, is this mentally healthy versus physically unhealthy and, and so on. So yeah, again, that's probably one of the big things that you learn as you get older. Unfortunately, I wish I knew those things more, or had a better grasp of those things as a, as a younger athlete. Mm. Are there any particular things in your career that you, well, you mentioned about getting to the Olympics and that being a massive, massive moment. Are there any other particular incidences that have been just, yeah, you're going to remember those and be really proud of? Um, yeah, I mean, well, to, to, to get to the Olympics that, that, that whole season, so running the time to qualify was, like I said, a big breakthrough in terms of seconds off my PB. Uh, winning the trials then uh, to, to cement my place in the team, um, beating Mo Farah and a couple of other really, really, you know, our top middle distance guys in that race to do that. It was something I'll always remember. Um, and then there's a couple of, a couple of occasions going back to the stuff I was talking about with Steve Peters, where the races I'm most proud of, um, haven't gone very well. Like as in I've not won or I've not got the time I wanted, but one of the, one of them, um, that I always talk about is the national championships in America when I was in, in college there. And I went into the race as one of the favorites, but again, knowing that I was not one of the biggest kickers in the race, I knew if it was a slow pace to begin with that I'd have to kick from quite a long way out. And I planned it and thought through it through and committed to it with my coach that, okay, 600 meters to go. That's when I'm going to make my move, which is really early in a really painful way to try and win the race. Uh, and I, but I, I did it. I got to that point. I hit the front, built up a massive lead, and then just had lactic like you've never seen before in the last hundred meters, and crawled home. And just one guy from the pack behind just burst and just dipped me on the line, and I ended up missing the national championship by I think thirteen hundredths of a second. And you know, like I said, winning the national championship is huge, a uh, huge deal there. And actually, actually. As a, someone leaving university at that point, it would have been a big deal for me financially as well to be in. So it was a, it was a massive thing to not win that race. Uh, and obviously I was upset, but looking back at it, I was so proud of myself to, to attack that race the way I did and, and give myself, I, I wouldn't have been in the top three if I'd have waited to kick in the last hundred meters or so. So um, I gave myself the best chance possible to win it. And, um, and, and that's exactly what, you know, we would talk about with Steve Peters is, you know, what is your best chance to win this race? You Can you hear me? Yeah. Sorry. Just lost a second. And yeah, just, just commit to it. So and that's, that's the, probably the key word that you learn more and more through my career is just commitment. Like it's not, it's not motivation because that comes and goes. It's just commitment. Like there's days when I'm totally unmotivated and I don't want to get out and train but I'm committed, you know, right now I'm committed to giving myself the best shot, shot of making Tokyo Olympics next year. So you do it, you just get it done. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting because uh, as an outsider and someone that doesn't know that much about sprinting or, or athletics, it's always difficult because you, you're just running, in inverted commas. Yeah. You know, it's like, how do you... you You've, you've trained for it so often, but then you've got the the variables of the other athletes that you're against. So it's, it's it's always quite difficult. Certainly from like a hundred meters perspective, like tactics in that it's you know it's uh, it's difficult to look at. I know it gets more so, but 
Yeah. How, how, how much do you think is tactics, like the events, the your physical prowess as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I this is one thing that I always talk again talked about with Steve Peters because he's um, he's a phenomenal sort of age group uh, masters sprinter, so he 200 meter, 400 meter world record, or I think for his age. Um, and obviously, the, the tactical aspect of that is much different from running middle distance. Um, especially if you look at 100 meters, okay, they have like a drive phase and so on, but essentially the gun goes and you just run as fast as you can and you stay in your lane. There's no one going to cut you up and so on. And there's all these variables to think about in a 1500 meter race that you can't prepare for and you can't sort of say, you know, you can't think through every eventuality in the race um, beforehand. So that kind of puts a block on this whole okay, you know, at this point, make this move because it, the race could be very different when it actually comes to it. So, but again, the sort of way around that is, is having kind of, um, I, there are things that I can set in my head beforehand. If I go through 800 meters in slower than 158, I know that's a slow race and I, we've not taken much out of the kickers in the race. So I know then I have to, you know, make a move to try and do that at that point. So regardless of what anyone else is doing, you know, at that, at that point, that's, that's something you're going to have to do. So you can still prepare and still, still plan. Um, there are definitely people that are tactically better at those sort of things. There's, there's people who are just naturally talented and can get themselves out of any situation just because they're that much better. Um, but yeah, going back to your question earlier, that's probably having a better grasp of that is, is, is probably my, biggest regret is that there's times where I should have been more aware of what my strengths are and, and also had the, um, uh, you know, the, the commitment to, 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 to do that and, and impose that on a race. It's, it's much easier to do when you're a kid and you, you kind of, you know, you're the fastest in the race by 10 seconds or something. So you just set off and go and run as fast as you can. And, you know, no one can live with you, but in a, you know, an Olympic level or a world level or whatever it might be, you're not going to run away from people like that. So it's, it's, you know, you have to be gutsy to try and do that and, and trust in yourself that you've got the ability to run the kick out of some of these people and, um, uh, you know, give yourself a good shot of, of actually winning. Mm. Yeah. No, I think it is fascinating that whole area. So in terms of what's happened now then for next year, like what's, what's the plan? What are your objectives in terms of both in terms of your athletics, but then what are your plans beyond beyond athletics um yeah so actually my my plan all things if all things have been normal was was to try and qualify for tokyo olympics this this summer so this was going to be really my last um year of trying to compete at a a high level certainly i certainly try and train at a high level um so i've kind of postponed that for another year now so it's um i've got another sort of what nine more months of trying to uh, trying to make it to the Olympics was eight months or something. But um, yeah, so I've started, um, I was over the past four or five years, I've been doing some part-time work for a, for a genetics company called DNA Fit. And they're actually doing a lot of the COVID testing now for, for Premier League clubs and, and, and other projects around the country. So I'm doing a bit much more work and sort of working full-time for them now, um, which is at the moment still allowing me to train as much as I want to. Um, but that's, probably something I'd go more into and, you know, uh, within that company, I know hopefully COVID's not going to still be around um, in years down the line, but 
within that, it's, it's definitely been a good learning experience for me this year to have, again, have something to focus on that isn't athletics because there's not been much athletics to focus on. Um, and just, just learn about, you know, a different career path that I can potentially go down um, once I decide to sort of hang up the spikes. Um, but yeah, as I say, for the moment, I'm, I'm still training. I'm uh, hopefully going to go off on a couple of training camps uh, this next year, the start of you know, January, February next year. Um, and yeah, see what I can do. I still feel physically fit. I'm healthy at the moment and I feel like I can still um do a lot of, you know, do a lot of good stuff on the track. So that's what I want to try and do. And, and for me, it's, you know, it's, if I get to August and I've not, you know, I've not made the Olympics or I've not run as fast as I want to, I think the only regrets I'd have would be if I feel like I've not given a hundred percent to try and do that. I, you know, if I've, if I've turned over every stone and, and done committed as much as I, I know I can, if I've not done that, then that's when I'll feel pretty, you know, down on myself so I want to make sure this year I do I do give it the you know the, the effort that it deserves and and see where I can get to really yeah no that sounds good well I'll wish you the very best of luck on that and finally I meant to ask this earlier on but have you got any tales from the Olympic Village that you can share <laughs> um uh what time is this going to be <laughs> released <laughs> Is it post watershed? I can mark it as explicit content. There's no problem. Um, no, I mean it's it's like I say it's just a bit of a surreal um, surreal experience. I, I was actually talking about this every day, where I you sort of it's like going into the school canteen. These big dining halls you have, and I remember sitting down for breakfast one day, and this guy comes and sits directly opposite me on these on these rows of tables. And I look up, and it's Raphael Nadal. And it's just surreal. You just sat there, sort of like say hey to him, and he's this mega superstar. And and even, you know, quite unusually for you know, I would never cross paths with someone like Kobe Bryant. But of course, there's basketball Olympics and the USA teams there, just wandering around the Olympic Village, and you just walk past and see these giant guys pass. He's like, is that Kobe Bryant? And it's just it's just totally surreal. Um, same with like I think Ronaldinho, I bumped into at some point in, in Beijing, and you just kind of just in awe of them but it's also then you have to sort of remind yourself well I'm here too as a as an Olympian and we're on this kind of you may earn quite a bit more money than me but we're on a sort of even even pitch here you know we're all here as a as, as athletes at the, you know the top of the game so it's yeah it's very very strange experience and um it's really you know like I said you'd never come across those people in normal life so um it was just yeah it's just great to kind of uh, cross paths with them like that. Mm. Was that before or after you started doing your Spanish lessons that you met? <laughs> yeah, yeah it certainly wasn't uh, wasn't proficient enough to, to try and chat to him about his uh, his breakfast. <laughs> Brilliant. No, Tom, that's been great. So thank you very much for your time. The very best of luck in your preparation for the Olympics. Really hope you make it there. And if you do, we'll definitely have you back on and you can tell us about the next stars that you met. Yeah. Tell you about the other celebrities I've met in the Olympic Village. <laughs> I'll get them on and they'll be telling me about you. So that'll yeah, be yeah, true, true. That'll be yeah. I'll have to make sure I'm memorable in some way to them. <laughs> but man, really thank you for your time and we'll speak to you soon. Cheers, Andy. Thanks a lot. Thank